Hey, this week's episode is a rip from a live stream I did on YouTube. Follow us on YouTube. We're going to be putting a lot more content, continuing the street interviews, but I think there's a way to incorporate more bigger video ideas and projects that could be useful for you or would be entertaining to watch. We'll be posting it on the YouTube channel primarily. So just follow the YouTube channel. It's Table Moments Podcast. Just search that. You'll be able to, you'll see our logo. Make sure you include podcasts. Otherwise, you're going to get a bunch of WWE references. <laughs> and hopefully we can get the channel big enough that when you type Table Moments in the future, all you'll see is us. But more ideas coming. You'll hear it on this episode. Some of the plans I have. Take a listen. Hope you enjoy the episode. If you guys want more of these, I might do a weekly show and see how that goes where we can actually collaborate and discuss some of the things that you guys, that's on your mind. That'd be really cool. Okay, Ooh, look at that. Why am I doing a live on a Friday? Because I show up every week. That's my mission. For this podcast, we didn't record the audio version last week, so this will serve as the audio version for this week. It'll just be me. I'll be talking about a few things, but generally just doing my rambles as I normally do, like I do on TikTok. I think it's about time that I start focusing on YouTube primarily. TikTok is nice, you know, broke 50,000 there, which is crazy, but I think now the time is to elevate the work to actually start making longer form content for videos, continuing doing the podcast because I made that three-year commitment and then see where what we can build here, if we can actually build a community and then eventually even beyond YouTube. That's the, that's the long-term goal, but I want to conquer YouTube next and that's the plan. How am I going to do this? Well, I have, I've been floating some ideas. So part of it is just being more active here. So the plan here on YouTube, I have some ideas about videos to make, but they're grand ideas, which is the problem because I don't have the skill set right now to be able to make some of the videos or the resources to make some of the videos. They're not crazy like Mr. Beast videos, but they are ambitious projects. And then to a lot of them are constructing things, building something and then, <laughs> or doing something kind of crazy and then executing on it. Basically, I came up with this idea before, like you start businesses, but funny, interesting and quirky ones. And then we actually, the kind of ones that are sort of edgy and would catch your attention. And then we turn those into profitable businesses. And the trouble with this is you have to actually build a business, each one, and each video would be a separate business. Or maybe it could be a series, or maybe even with these live streams, like what I was treating the podcast as, as sort of the ideation, where we talk about all these different interesting ideas or thoughts that we have, and then see if uh, it's something that could actually be viable in the real world. And that's a lot of the podcast. For those of you who are unfamiliar, there is an audio portion to this that's purely audio. We usually, it's usually me, my brother, and a guest that we invite on and we talk about random crazy ideas. And usually avoid politics, but sometimes it sneaks in there probably because of me, which is why we have the rule, no politics. <laughs> and so we've come up with some pretty crazy ideas and it would be really cool to actually make them happen. To actually like, hey, cookie company, we start that that's primarily delivery. You can listen to one of our older episodes where I ended up, I thought about starting it and then I actually got pretty far in actually starting the cookie company. And it's not because I think cookies would are a good business to, to get into, 
because the margins on those aren't, they are better than most hot food, but they're still not as quite as high as I would like, which is why I've had to make the choice to focus on software. But it would be nice to resurrect that idea as part of Table Moments. And we talk about <laughs> starting a cookie company, a virtual kitchen, a virtual bakery, basically. So the, the idea of a virtual bakery is there are, there is no storefront you can go to. There's no place you can walk into and buy pastries or anything like that. Literally, you just order through either the website or some food delivery app and they deliver it to you. And so a lot of companies that end up doing this, if you're not aware, there are plenty of companies that do this, but they use what are called ghost kitchens. So, or like, it's basically a kitchen you can rent to use for meal prep. And a lot of these kitchens are certified for this kind of work. You rent it out and then you make the food or whatever. In this case, it would be chocolate chip cookies. And then I package them up and then as I get orders, I deliver them. Now my idea for Cookie City was because it's, it's a virtual bakery, there's no storefront. So unlike Uber Eats or Grubhub or anything like that, you actually, instead of driving to a restaurant to pick up the food to drop off to another person and then going back to another restaurant to pick up food and drop off, you're just dropping off from person to person. You're just receiving all the orders. So if you've ever walked into a restaurant that also accepts Grubhub or Uber Eats orders, you'll see they have a tablet. There's a tablet where they can actually see the orders come in, they fulfill the order, and then once it's ready to go and they hand it to the driver, they actually hit the button on the tablet, indicating that the driver has taken over the meal to, is in the process of taking the meal over to the customer. Instead, what if the tablet was moving? Because it's baked goods, it's something that can be moved without, it's basically motion stable. Unlike like a soup or hot food, noodles, stuff like that, even something more solid like um, burgers and fries and stuff like that, it's still a bit of motion can mess up the food. But with cookies and other baked goods, they aren't that delicate. So it makes sense to be able to have them in a vehicle. And so if you bake all these cookies ahead of time and you have them in a vehicle and you have the tablet with orders coming in, then it's just a matter of driving from customer to customer. And the idea being, I thought this was a pretty brilliant, brilliant idea. The tagline for the business would be, we deliver cookies in less time than it takes to bake. And that would be factually true because um, depending on the area you serve. And so that's the compelling case for it. And it's a funny idea because it's cookie delivery. Who, like a guy like me running a bakery, like look at me. I don't look like someone who knows how to bake, even though I do know how to bake, which is why also expertise in there. But really the interesting part of this project for me is solving that problem of delivery between customers because I did DoorDash delivery. And honestly, if you go to our TikTok account, our highest performing video at this point has 23 million views. It's where I explain what's happening in a DoorDash video. Someone posted a video of their driver eating their food and I explained the situation of what actually happened. In this case, it was they were late with the pickup. And because they're late, there's a given amount of time you have to actually meet that driver. And if you don't meet it within that time, they tell you, okay, as a driver, you can go pick up other orders and the food's yours. And so he was eating the food and she caught him and everyone's like, oh, these drivers suck, these drivers suck. But in reality, in reality, he had waited and he tried to find her apartment complex. And I knew that because I've done the work before. And so, like I also made a follow-up video where I explained that these DoorDash drivers make their money based on how many orders they can do in an hour. And so for, by being late with the pickup 
or being late with the drop-off or the restaurant not having the food on time cost the driver money because that's time he could have been moving food from point A to point B. And anytime people are late, it costs the driver money. And so in theory, it is possible to do three orders on average per hour. If everyone was on time in the pickup and the drop-off and the restaurant had the food ready, you could probably fit about four orders per hour. That's an extra around $10 that they can make per hour just because um, they can fit one more order in that hour. And so it really costs them money. They could be making good livings. On top of that, there's the depreciation costs on the vehicle that they're using, which is typically cars. And so on top of losing money, lost revenue for not being able to add an extra order in, they're also paying the cost of have, maintaining the equipment. And so I was thinking like, what if, what could they deliver that shelf stable that they can have in the vehicle as orders come in that could be high enough margin for this to make sense and be able to pay drivers at minimum. The floor for me was $30 an hour. If I can get drivers to make $30 an hour, which is basically was my entry level engineering salary, that would be mission success. And that's what I was hoping to prove out. And then also deliver in half the time than ordering cookies from any other place because the cookies are in the vehicles. That's, that was the idea. And I think that'd be a funny video to actually make. And I have some ideas about which approach and how to do it, but it's like a massive undertaking because you're essentially starting a business. That means establishing EINs, employee identification numbers, making a bank account. Um, maybe I have to make a holding company, just table moments, endeavors or something, <laughs> or industries or something like that, some general holding thing so I don't have to keep making this stuff. But if it's a separate entity, at least you're gonna have to have EIN numbers, you're gonna have to get business licenses, you're gonna have to register, probably an LLC, because this is food. So you probably want limited liability just to be safe, because you are making the food. Now another option is I could just find cookies that or commission a bakery to make cookies and I just give them a cut or I pay wholesale prices, which is typically, I actually researched this a lot, which is typically, no, wholesale is usually half of what they would charge for the cookie at retail. If they sold it for $2, then the wholesale price would be half that, $1. And so I think at most you can charge $4 a cookie, crumble set the, the industry standard at this point, but they are massive cookies. I think I can win if this were gonna be a real thing, I can win on flavor because these, this would actually have real butter in it, better chocolate, and wouldn't be filled with vegetable oil like crumble cookies really are. Their packaging is great, their marketing is great, but as a cookie, it's not a good cookie. I don't know. And then it's weird seeing people with the pink boxes like, oh look, I'm about to enjoy my crumble. It's like, come on guys, it's not that good. It's not that good. So that was the idea. And it's not as simple it's not, it's not that it's hard to start. It's just going to be time consuming and a lot of effort to actually get this thing off the ground. Cause I remember now, obviously I have the shortcut because I've actually done a lot of the research and the work before, and then I had to pivot to software, but it'd be nice to come back to this and actually offer this. And so I recently moved to Austin. I think we can involve some of the students maybe, and just give like the promo could be like, all right, guys, free cookie Sunday, whatever. And get the word out about this thing, probably have to buy ads. You see, it's basically running a business just to make a video. And <laughs> so on top of all the documentation you're gonna have to have, setting up a bank, thing, getting all the paperwork to work, finish all that to actually start the thing. And then I already did a food safety course, but I don't know if I'd have to redo it. And then also if I wanted to start small scale, I might have to register with 
at this point, since I live in Texas now, the state of Texas, see what the cottage industry laws are. I did it in New York and I did it in California. And it's not too hard. You just got to fill out some paperwork and then you have to define exactly what you're making and what the ingredients are. And then you have to have labels, which by the way, a hack, if you want to make nutrition labels or at least, yeah, nutrition labels or any kind of labels you need for whatever food industry or f cottage food, they call it cottage food, basically food that you make at home. And you are allowed to do that as long as you register, depending on the state you live in, you register and you follow whatever requirements that they're, they don't even require like someone to inspect your home or anything. Basically, it's just, you're probably gonna have to take a food safety course. Once you get past that and you pay whatever fees and you detail exactly what you're offering. So you have to be very specific. I was gonna focus just on cookies, specifically chocolate chip cookies. And then you have to list the ingredients and give them an ingredient list of that. And the cool thing is like a lot of these websites, these portals that were, that help you guide, that help guide you into setting this up, actually used chocolate chip cookies as the example on how to fill this out. So I basically just copied and pasted it. It was, it was nice. Um, and then once you do that, then you can actually start selling, right? And obviously you gotta come up with the name, set up the store. And so you gotta set up all the payments on, or flow, or you gotta go through one of these food delivery apps like Grubhub and DoorDash, and they have to approve you to be on their platform as a vendor. And I've tried that before, Grubhub wouldn't let me because it has to be at a commercial address and I was doing it for my residence. And then I tried to do DoorDash and they're like, yeah, we can't let you until like Grubhub approves you first, which is weird. But man, I was like, this is such a pain in the ass. So <laughs> doing it from your home isn't gonna work. So then you have to go out of pocket and find a ghost kitchen that you can use the address for and actually use their facilities to make the stuff. And it's just like all this to make a video all this to make a video and then you got to plan out all right here's what this is going to look like here are the shots i need for this video here what here's how to make it a compelling story like i'm going to start a cookie business and i'm going to give you guys a piece of it or something you know like mr beast's energy <laughs> and that's part of the idea I, I was thinking like to really step up the because starting a virtual kitchen eh, or a virtual bakery not it's it's not that it's an interesting watch because it's a way to make money so it's one of those three things that appeal to human basic desire so it's typically relationships or sex then you have health which is also kind of related to sex because obviously the whole body thing and then money which is also related to sex because resource acquisition gets you sex and so it's a it's all related to procreation in the end but those are the big three topics so if I can do money, that'd be interesting. And people would be interested in like, oh shit, I didn't know I could make money just selling cookies. Obviously I know a lot about cookies. I've done the process. Maybe I can even sell this as a course, as a way to make revenue for this podcast. But really the video has to be made and the amount of work of just the setup before you can even make the, obviously maybe part of this could be these live streams where I actually discuss with you guys, hey, here, what should the name of this, this company be? and we come up with it or it's like, all right, what should our marketing strategy be? And then someone could suggest something or other people. And then it's like community building kind of thing where you're building this thing together. And then in that case, it belongs to everyone too. And so that's why I would give ownership away. And so it's sort of like Mr. Beast, but in, on a whole, 
in a different way where I give, no one does this. I haven't seen anyone do this, give pieces of their business that they've built away. And I might be uniquely suited for this because I don't care about money that much. I care about pushing the culture and building an audience that anyone else can eat off of. I have struggled with this podcast for the last two years. It's been a grind making these videos, doing these live streams I've been doing lately. I think if I look back, I have probably been doing live streams for six months now, once a week for six months. And I think I have to ramp up. And so it's been a grind. Also the editing, the podcasts and all that. Like last week, I just needed a break. I could not do another edit. It's just, those ones are rough at this point. And so I think I'm gonna have to hire a first show edit, but there's so much work. And so it'd be nice if we built a community that I can invite people on who are doing things on their own. I can give them a sort of like boost to help them get off the ground. Because it's the first step. It's the first piece of growth that's the hardest to get. It's the hardest to get. Like this is sort of, <laughs> I'm going to make a, related to physics, but inertia. You know, objects at motion stay in motion. Objects at rest stay at rest. When you're stationary, it's very hard to get moving. Most of the, a lot of the energy used in motion is just getting the thing to move. And then once it's moving, it's a lot easier to continue the motion. You see the dilemma here? And so that first step is usually the part where people just fall down and it's easy to give up because there's so much you have to learn. There's so many things you're gonna have to figure out. Not only, even I'm still learning. I try to keep things as simple as possible. Right now I'm using my iPhone and continuity camera with my MacBook. And that's what you're seeing right now. I like definitely gotta step up the game here, but I'm just doing what I can with what I can. And it's just a matter of sometimes you just gotta make it work. And it's not ideal, and yeah, could it be optimized and do so much better if you got all the other things right? Yeah, but if you wait for those things to be right, you don't actually get the reps that you need to get better. Now at this point, I think I'm, I would say 70 to 80% of what I need to actually start growing well on YouTube. There's still some bitty, pretty big chunks. I. I think I can tell a story. It's just about a matter of coming up with interesting ones that people would wanna watch that relate to relationships, money, or health. Just because those are the easiest topics to cover and people would be interested no matter what. It, it, it appeals to the broadest audience. I think I should also tailor my messaging, at least I come off a little harsh, especially on these videos, these shorts that you guys see in the YouTube shorts, TikToks, and Instagrams. I know, I edit them to be abrasive, that's the point. But when people come to the live and they see this, they're like, oh, you're, you're actually not that bad. You seem like a wholesome, kind man. I'm like, all right. But I don't know, I just, I, I prefer to start making moves even if it's not ideal or even near perfect because I just need the reps and it's a grind. And so like talking about videos and kind of video ideas that can make, like I think that cookie, the cookie, video idea might work. But again, there's no guarantees with this stuff, like, cause I'm still learning. And that's the dilemma of being a beginner. You don't know what works, you don't know what doesn't. And you're probably gonna be heading in, it's like trying to navigate in a dark room. You don't know where anything is. You don't know where the couch is or the light switch is. You don't know where the chair is. All you do know is the ground, okay? <laughs> and so you're just like going in the dark, trying to find all the different things that you need eventually so that you can actually I guess, turn on the light. I don't know, it's, maybe it's a bad analogy, but that's the way I've always seen it. And at this point, it's like slowly, I'm figuring out the layout of the room. So with every video that I post, every new thing that I learn, every piece of software that I figure out or equipment that I learn to use in a better way or a new experience, like doing street interviews, which we've done, then 
It's just slowly figuring out more of the pieces of furniture that's in this dark room. Eventually, I'll figure out where that light switch is. And once that light switch goes on, it'll be my room. It'll be my room, but until then, I just have to keep hunting around. And that's a tough thing. That's a very tough thing. And it would be nice if I was in a position to help people navigate in their dark rooms so that they can find that light switch faster than I did. And you might be thinking like, what's the point? Why do you do this? I don't know. The way I see it is like, if I can help other people grow, it's why wouldn't I help other people grow? I like helping people. I might not seem like it, but I just do. Like, if you ask me a question about something, I really do want to help you. I really do. Like, why not? I don't know why people feel the need to gatekeep or hold people down. And I've had this experience in my life, not in overt ways, but in subtle ways. And it blew my mind too when it was happening because I didn't expect it. And it's one of those things that I didn't realize until much later than it should have, which sucks because then I get mad at myself for letting it go on for as long as it did. So it, it would be nice if I can just help people shortcut the process and I don't know if it would breed any loyalty because that's one of the things I really value in relationships, but I'm hoping it does. I'm sure it's gonna screw me one day. Like there's gonna be some people I help out who then if something ever happens to me, considering a lot of the edgy content I make, I could be a target. I know it sounds like uh, very arrogant, but shit happens, man, all the time, all the time. You might not know it, but it does. And even part of this, part of this whole experience is like hoping that I can wake people up to some of the things that are happening in the world. Not even happening in the world, just looking at the world differently, not trusting everything you see. You know, a little skepticism in your life will do you more value than just keeping those blinders on. Although wearing the blinders is very, it's a very, very peaceful life. I, so on the one hand, I, I ask myself, this isn't mentally enjoyable to know the things that are actually happening to see others around you buy the bullshit while you, know, while you see deeper. It's a tough experience and then you're just like, and then you try to help because most people are helpful, they're naturally helpful. So if you're in this position where you can start seeing, I think some cultures or people call it the third eye, where you can see deeper what's actually going on, then you start looking at the people around you and you try to wake them up, but they're not ready. They're not ready. They may never be ready. And that's a hard thing to accept. <laughs> like it took me, I would say a few years probably to learn, to finally accept that I can't help people help themselves. I can't, I can't help people help themselves. I can't help show them what's actually going on. And even when I do mention and they're like, oh yeah, okay, you were right this time, you were right this time, guess what? The next time they will question you again. Next time they'll say you're, you're just making it a big deal or that's not actually what's happening. And, and then time goes by and again, same thing happens. And so I've learned to like, you know what? You guys wanna believe what you wanna believe and you're not ready. You may never be ready to see deeper and that's okay. But that's also a very lonely experience because everyone around you is gonna buy all the superficial fake crap. And then you're gonna be out here just like, what the hell's the point of all this? So if you're one of those people, this could be your home. I'm one of you. My brother who does the podcast with me isn't one of us, but I think he has an open mind, which I'm not here trying to convince him either, but I think, I think that transition is happening. It's one of those things that happens in early adulthood, like early to mid twenties. If that transition does not happen for you, it probably will never happen. Now there are exceptions for sure, but it's just a shitty situation sometimes for some people. Cause you're like, damn, 
you're trapped. <laughs> it's like, I don't I, I hate making the Matrix reference because it's so played out at this point. Take the red pill, the blue pill, blah, blah, blah. It's like, but that fact, that line that Morpheus said about we normally avoid waking up people when they've, when they're too old, when they've at a certain age because their minds will not be capable of, of accepting it. And I see that all the time around me, all the time. And I believe being able to see deeper is more valuable. I haven't been able to prove it yet. I'm hoping it plays out that way. So the decisions I make and the way I've been living my life is in a way that sees deeper, that dismisses a lot of the superficial stuff, the things that you're gonna see on the news or social media or whatever's promoted. Like one of the things people were discussing even just a few weeks ago was the Chinese balloon. So it's like, okay, that's a misdirection. Nobody cares. Look at even now, you're watching the stream, you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that, yeah. That's what happens. It's like, that was a misdirection. You look at what was actually happening at the time. There's probably something going on in the world or in our country or whatever, some sort of major news event that was being buried by this Chinese weather balloon. Another one is the UFO thing. The UFOs thing. Oh, anytime you start seeing things that just don't quite make sense. And this is hard to describe to people who haven't seen enough of this distraction out there or recognized it to understand where I'm coming from, to understand where we're coming from. Hopefully you're one of a, you, you see it that way too. There are all these misdirections around us, all these things that are trying to keep us from living the lives we're meant to live. And I think Table Moments could be a part of that community that brings people together who can see those distractions and aren't deterred by them. And that would be a nice community to build because I think those people are probably more adventurous, more willing to try new things and probably have some level of free thought that you're not gonna find in your average person. Not that, I don't know, like old me would have said it's a bad thing to just accept things as you're told, all that. But if it gives you peace of mind and you don't care to know anything more, is that a fail? Is that an L? I don't know. Because if you're happier, because this isn't a happy existence, it sucks knowing as much as I do. It sucks knowing all this shit. It sucks. I hate to be right a lot of the time. It sucks. And if you're like me, you know how much it sucks. Cause it's like, I, I think the approach I've been taking lately is humor. Take it from a humor, humorous standpoint. Like, can I laugh about this? How can I laugh about this? And yeah, I do I come off a little hard a lot of the time when I do point out something that I warn people about, that I told people about. And it's also weird when people come over to your side after things played out, but the consequences were paid. I don't know. I think I'm getting like really, not spiritual, but very cryptic right now. It's ain't an Illuminati stream, okay? <laughs> and I actually had topics prepared, which I put in the description, which I'm gonna have to change because I get distracted. I let my mind just wander. And it's one of those things that I've learned how to do with the live stream practice I've been doing on TikTok, which I'm gonna be bringing to this. It'd be nice if we did like a daily show or maybe even like a couple weeks or a couple days a week where I don't like doing current events because it's just boring. Again, distractions that they're putting out there. But if there are deeper discussions that people want to have, like things that we've talked about on live, abortions come up once and I gave my honest opinion. Was it Michael Brown? No, Zimmerman, the whole Zimmerman case. I also have a video idea about that. I think people haven't, aren't aware of the situation and what actually happened versus what you, again, hear in the distraction. And so 
I did give my honest opinions and people were like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't believe blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it is what it is, man. Some people were open-minded, which is surprising. I always expect people to just like shut off their brain. And you can see it happen too when it, when people start feeling the cognitive dissonance happen in real time. Like they start getting really emotional, really emotional. And then they, they become incoher- incoherent too. And it's a, and then I, at that point I try to ease up because I'm like, I'm not trying to break their mind right now. Because <laughs> that's the thing that happens. People's minds get broken. That is a terrible feeling to believe something to be true, almost know it for certain, and then find out, one, get challenged on it. And then two, once it starts unraveling, it starts unraveling and you start, and that idea starts to break apart. It is a mind shattering experience in a metaphorical sense. That's what's happening. And it's a tough experience for people to go through, especially when it's things that they've done. So like there are certain things, maybe I don't need to bring it up now, but there are things people have done in their past that they haven't questioned before. Maybe as brothers, sisters, moms, dads, the way they've treated others. If they gave it deep thought, they would not like what they've done. And it's just one of those things that you kind of have to be careful with people. Because on the one hand, if you are shattering their mind, it's not something that they want to be exposed to. And so obviously people protect themselves. And so that's why they become irrational and emotional and get somewhat, I'm not going to say physically violent, but sort of there is a protection mechanism that happens. I I don't like seeing it in people because I know what it was like, because it usually breeds some anger or some like really strong negative emotion. And that's the first step to healing. But it's not something a step, it's not a step most people are willing to take. And it sucks for them, I guess. I wish people like would see the long-term impact of doing the work now, but they don't. And that's okay. At least for them, if they decide they want to live their life. But at least for me, I've been trying to break all my preconceived notions about things. And I've changed a lot over the years. I used to be super pro-government and I'm not going to get too deep into politics, but I used to be super pro-government. I'm like, I want to go to a public university. I want to work for the government. I can't stand private corporations, all that. And then I started working for the government. I'm like, holy crap. I had no idea how wasteful and inefficient government actually was. I got a taste of that. I was like, and then that's when there were moments in my early adulthood that sort of, I had that mind shattering experience and I came out on the other side, seeing the world in a different way. And then when that happened, I was like, okay, I can't do this government stuff anymore. Let me try the private sector. And then I tried that. I'm like, oh, okay. They're not as bad or they're not as efficient, but they're still plenty inefficient. Okay. Plenty. And they do shady shit too. So I was like, whoa, that's crazy. It's like, it doesn't matter where you are. It's like the size. And then one of the things I had to accept is like, it doesn't matter if it's private or government or if it's public company, whatever, it doesn't matter. What matters is the size of the organization because as it gets bigger, it becomes less and less human. You notice how the people you relate to the most are usually like the solopreneurs or the entrepreneurs or because they're hustling hard and they really care about the thing that they're working on because it's them. It's a part of them. It's almost like your kid when you're starting a business or a hustle or service or something. They're the most real. And then as you move up to like the small business and you're like, oh, these are the wholesome people. We want to support them. They're actually a person I know, not only engage in commerce, but probably have some sort of relationship with them. 
interpersonal relationship. And then as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, they become less and less personal because now people are just getting hired into the organization. They aren't the owners. They're not people with skin in the game. Obviously, they try to remedy, remedy this with stock options and ownership options that they offer employees. But in the end, they're not like the owners. The owners care way more. And so the experience and the delivery of their what they do is going to be different than the people they bring on. And so as these organizations get bigger and bigger, it becomes less and less personal. And then at that point, and by consequence, they become less human. And when that happens, then it's easy to justify bad things or look the other way or, and then that's why you get all this, like, it's not willful corruption. It's just the environment breeds it. And which is why I think the argument I can hear for regulation would be that it's like, look, these guys will do whatever they have to do to make their business work. So that's where rules make sense. So that's why, I don't know, I do have a soft spot for people who are really just trying to build it from the ground up. And I've had this conversation with someone close to me about working with people or networking and stuff versus actually doing it all yourself. And I do have a good and bad habit of doing things by myself. I don't know, to me, I'm like, if I can't do it myself, how can I expect? It's not how can I expect, it's just like, why shouldn't I be able to do it? Like, I believe in myself so much that, and I'm so confident in myself that I really believe I can do anything. I've proved it enough times to myself that I know that to be true. I've taken on things I've never, I've never done before, somehow pulled it off. Examples of this, learn how to taught myself how to code, built an app that helps me post these, these clips that I post every day. I bought a salvage motorcycle. I have never worked on motorcycles like that before, but I was like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out and found the repair manual. I can read, I can research, I can figure it out. And I did, and I fixed it. And it's my bike. School, so many times I've been in classes where I didn't know what the hell I was doing and or what the teacher was teaching. There are plenty of times I slept in the middle of class. This is college, um, I studied engineering and plenty of times I'm not paying attention when the lecture's happening. I do the learning when I'm at home doing the homework. The homework that probably isn't going to be worth much. It's usually like only 10% of your grade. So you have to perform on the midterm and the final. So what do I do? This has been since uh, probably since I was in sixth grade. I've had to basically teach myself. Come from a family of immigrants. Like there's not much they could teach me past sixth grade. English, it's not their first language. On the math part, they know a bit of math, but not to the levels I ended up taking it. So, and all the other stuff isn't completely unfamiliar to them. So... It's one of those things that I just had to figure it out. So I got so good at doing that. And I didn't even realize it until like recently that I have, I've built, I've been building this habit my entire life of just having to figure things out. And so I read the book. That's what I would do. I would fall asleep in class, in my college classes, the lectures are dreadfully boring or the professor barely speaks English so you don't understand what they're doing. I just take the notes down. I'm mindlessly writing notes and then I go home and I read the book and I learn it. That's what I do. And I just figure it out. And I, I think, I guess, you know, sometimes it's hard to realize that other people aren't you. So perhaps one of my flaws is expecting, projecting myself onto other people. And this is just a common thing people do. It's, it's something I believed for a lot of my life. I really believed that anyone was capable of doing anything that they put their mind to because that's what I believed about myself. That's not true. That's not true. People do not believe in themselves. I think it still does come down to belief, but people don't believe in themselves like I believe in me, like I believe in myself. And it's crazy that people have no proof of that in their life. And 
it sucks because I know they can. If they really were insistent on figuring it out, obviously there are IQ situations and stuff. So there might be certain things, but like there's certain things I'm not suited for that I can manage to figure out. That's why uh, I sort of have been trying to temper my perception of other people. They are not me and I can't expect them to be like me, even though I think if they had the same mindset as me, they would do far better for themselves. And it's just tragic to see sometimes like people give up on themselves all the time. I even see this on weirdly social media when I get some haters or whatever, especially even today when this week when I got some reactions from some Twitter post, or even when I called into the majority report and I claimed like, yeah, I'm gonna be building that better future. And people are like, oh, with what technology? I was explaining like technology is gonna be the thing that saves us from this, this social security problem. It's hard to explain to people. Like this thing is not something that can be relied on. And he was using these facts and figures, projections that the government's making about social security payments. I believe, I believe based on the rate of decline of social security, and especially inflation, which I don't think he factored in at all. It's not gonna be a support system for people like me. I'm 33 years old and for people younger. And on top of that with automation, that can make things even worse. So the assumption I've been working through is this thing is not gonna exist. Probably might not exist unless we make some changes to making old age retirement affordable living. That means fundamentally changing housing for retirees, making it far more affordable and cheaper. And another big part of that is medical expenses because as they, as people get older, those medical bills go up and the procedures and services that they require is usually way more than what they would need when they were younger. And so we do definitely have to make some changes with the way we administer medicine in America. People talk about single, pay, single payer or whatever. It's like, no, that's not solving the root problem. The root problem is the high cost of um, devices, services, and given in medicine. And when you start looking into it, the numbers don't quite make any sense if you compare it to any other industry. You're like healthcare is one of the few industries where costs keep going up instead of down which doesn't make any sense. At least as an engineer, none of it makes sense. You can't even say that things are getting better either. Yeah, there's more screening or whatever. Maybe there's more busy work, I would say, but in terms of like actually extending the health of people, that's declining. So we're paying more for less. And so I realized that there's definitely gonna have to make some changes. And I also understand there's a lot of boys club kind of deals that happen in medicine in terms of like hospitals and manufacturers and all the suppliers, all these middlemen that are involved, all the insurance companies that get involved in all this. And then on top of that, all the regulations that manage all this stuff. There's so much fat that can be cut to make this far more affordable. And then if we do that, then Social Security and Medicare aren't that much of a problem because it's not about the dollar figure, it's about being able to give the services to retirees. If we can give them housing, affordable, good housing. We can also give them affordable medical care and then also solve the food problem. And we can reduce the cost of that, of all those things, which would also help the rest of the population. Then the actual dollar figure that they get for social security won't matter because all this stuff will be so affordable. That's the only way. That's the only way to make any of this, this make sense. And that's what I was trying to explain on the majority report. But I mean, uh, I guess he had his points prepared and 
They're like, oh, magical technology that's gonna like improve. It's like, dude, yeah, we can do that. And when I say that, people don't understand. They don't understand like, yes, it's gonna require people putting effort to make that future happen. I don't think things should be as expensive as they are. I think houses could be way more affordable than they are. But part of the reason why they are expensive is because people bought into this housing system that prices houses expensively. That's the problem. It's like this weird feedback cycle that feeds on itself. People make purchases on expensive homes, which means now they have equity vested into the property and they don't want to be underwater on their loans. And so they are part of the system by purchasing a house. They become part of the system that keeps prices elevated for housing. You see the problem here? They call it not in my backyard, NIMBY, NIMBYism. And so they prevent new housing development and all that. I think it requires someone with a bit of courage who is willing to take a lot of pushback and still execute on the things that need to be done. Housing could be way more affordable. The system as it is right now encourages things to stay high and expensive and keep people out of actually have living fruitful, enjoyable lives. I don't know. I see it and it's just like, damn, all it's going to take is probably a handful of people who just give a fuck and who are willing to make the sacrifices and take the so and take the social resistance that's going to come from that. And I think I might be one of those people. I think I am. So we'll see. If you're listening to this, this was ripped from the live stream that I did on YouTube. If you like this, send me a DM on one of the socials, maybe Instagram or TikTok. I'm on Twitter too, if you are one of the Twitter or even on YouTube. And let me know if you guys wanna see more of these kind of discussions or if there are certain things that you have on your mind that are sort of timeless. I don't do current events. I just don't like the idea of turning this thing into a job because it's an easy way to grow content. Just talk about what's going on in the news. And then now you have to keep up with the news. And the news is a pretty toxic thing for the mind. As I was talking about before, it's it's the source of distractions in your life, which is why I've had to cut it off. I, I don't watch the news like that anymore. So if there are certain things that you guys like that you want to talk about or topics on your mind or even just like philosophical stuff I really like, or we could always talk about ideas. So expanding on the Cookie City idea, if there's other ideas, or we can just shoot ideas off of each other and see what would be an interesting concept for a video that could turn into a business that then you guys can have a piece of. I think that'd be really cool. And we build this together. That'd be very, very cool. So just DM me if you want to see more of this. So if you're one of those audio listeners, you're, to, you're hearing my voice right now. I appreciate all of you who've been listening for this long. We've hit some pretty big milestones, over 5,000 listens on the podcast, over 50,000 followers on TikTok, Instagram over 500, which I still don't understand what the hell's going on with Instagram. I want to get bigger on YouTube. So I'll be posting more videos that are just an exercise of my storytelling through video and editing and then hopefully start doing more of these live streams. Maybe it might be a daily thing, who knows? I, I told myself I was gonna do these once a week, but it's like, my, I've been traveling a lot lately, but finally I'm settling down in Austin. I'm gonna set it up to, to make it a nice place where I could just sit down and live stream with you guys and see if we can build a community here and also hopefully put some ownership in your pocket. Not money, ownership. That'd be really cool. Possibly, 
this could be the avenue to give people a chance at ownership of businesses, income generating businesses. And then it would be nice if we can involve some of you so that this could be like providing jobs to people who want to be deeply involved in this with a piece of the business too. That'd be pretty cool. So we'll see. Um, thank you for watching. Signing out. Bye. Bye.